Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of After Impact. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I am here with the doctor of finesse. PhD. PhD. This is a show where we unpack the impact of impact theory, and we're diving deep today into Michael Gervais, mm-hmm. the sports psychologist and all-around badass. I loved this dude. He's so cool, and I, you know, I love when he showed up. I remember when he showed up. And he was speaking your language right away. Oh, because exactly. one of the things that you always say is, and what you always do, and people notice, is you bring something different out of people. Sometimes people go on autopilot, but you bring them out of it, right? He showed up ready to be on a different playing yeah. field. I remember he went right up to you and he's just like, hey, you know, I've done these interviews so many times. I want to do something different. And you're like, well, you came to the right place. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys went somewhere different. And he, you could see how appreciative he was. Even during the interview, he kept stopping and being like, oh, I'm glad we're talking about this. Let's dive into this. This is great. This is great. He was so excited. And, uh, and you could see that even in the comments. And I found it funny that I don't know if you look through the comments. So many people think he looks like Tom Cruise. That's interesting. I was like, Wait, they're, what? they're not crazy. I get where they're coming from, but uh-huh. I didn't see it until somebody said that. <laughs> yeah, so many people. It's funny. Uh, but yeah, so diving right in. Uh, every great change starts with pain. Pain is a prime mover to push yourself to the edge. God, how much do you love that? I love that. It sounds very uh, superhero origins. It does. It really does. That might be part of why I love it the (laughs) most. But I really, really love that. Because here's why I'm so into this idea. We're all going to suffer. And just like a man's search for meaning, when that suffering has a purpose, it's fine. You can bear it. And there's an Mm -hmm. awesome quote from Nietzsche. um, A man who has a why can bear almost any how. And I thought... That's that's legit. When you know why you're going through what you're going through, then all of a sudden, like the the amplitude of how difficult it is isn't as relevant. Mm. And knowing that all the great things in my life are going to come from those moments of suffering, I, I legitimately tell myself that. Like I know that hard things are coming for me. Things that will cause me massive stress, massive anxiety. There'll be a total time suck. They won't be fun. They'll be hard to get through. There'll be times where it seems like, whoa, you know, is there going to be some big loss associated with this? And in those, in those moments, what I'm telling myself is this will make me better because I'm always willing to do the reflection to leverage the pain to get something extraordinary. And when you know 
ah, this is the moment in the gym. This is the intellectual gym. This is the part where on the other side of it, I will know something. I will have more resilience. I will know something about myself, the depths to which you know, I can dig to really find that grit inside of me. And then the next time something comes for you, when you're telling yourself that whole preamble that I just went through, there's so much believability in it because you're like, well, yeah, exactly. Like the last time that I went through something like this. Mm. So knowing that pain is truly advantageous, even though it's not fun, helps immeasurably. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, <clears throat> what tripped me out, though, is when he went on to say the worst things we can do for our loved ones is to try to reduce their pain. Yeah. And that tripped me out. I'm still trying to process it. I remember you said in the interview, you're like, when I first heard it, it kind of threw me for a whirl, but I get what you mean. I'm still trying to process it. <laughs> so what do you think Well, dude, that? as a parent, I'm not surprised you're still trying yeah. to process it. Because truly, when, when you strip away all the bullshit, there's really two driving reasons that I don't have kids. Number one is I am, I am deeply fulfilled and enriched by the things that I pursue. Mm. And mm -hmm. so I don't have an emptiness where fulfillment sits and, and, and a truly beautiful way to fill that void is with a child. So that number one is why I don't. And then number two is that I have such a hard time seeing people that I love suffer, yeah. but I know that that's how they're gonna get better. Now, here's the part nobody wants to talk about. Suffering breaks most of the people that it touches. Yeah, It's that's... why the, the inner cities are not a wellspring of greatness. But the people that come out the other side and achieve greatness, mm. the, the, the distance that they travel from where they started to, to the heights of their success are so extraordinary. And the way that I've always thought about it is, okay, most people will just succumb, but to get the escape velocity to overcome that level of hardship, that level of nobody wants me to succeed, I have no positive reinforcement, like everything is just working against me. Like if you work to get out of just that to baseline, normally by the time they get to baseline, they're racing so fast that they just blow past it and they go out into outer space. So, but nobody wants to talk about how for every, um, Jay-Z, Eminem, um, you know, name, uh, uh, Isaiah Thompson, you know, for every one of them, there are a hundred thousand. I mean, is, is that the ratio? It's probably that or worse yeah. that it, eh, it makes them less than they would have been in any other environment. Yeah. I mean, and that is a crazy thing. It's true. Uh, I feel like most people do, uh, especially in our space, talk about people, uh, going through pain and coming out rising like the phoenix, but so many people forget to talk about the crazy amount of folks who actually, you know, don't get beyond that. Mm. It's hard. How can you get beyond it? And I, and I think that's why I'm so grappling with this. But um, I get it. I get it. But the thought of someone suffering, I, I guess it makes sense with, you know, if you have a loved one who's addicted to drugs, you know, they've got to help themselves at least to begin with themselves to get out. Yeah, you can support them. But... They have to suffer to understand what the breaking point is to get beyond that. So. Here's, here's what I think it, where this really gets complicated. So one, the suffering could break your loved one, mm -hmm. in which case they're diminished. It's a diminished version of themselves. They lose faith in themselves. Yeah. They don't feel loved by you. They feel neglected and it's them against the world. And that makes them retreat within. That's a very real possibility. Um, possibility number two is 
you mollycoddle them and they go to the middle. And since most people are in the middle anyway, that feels normal. You feel mm. like I I saved them. They didn't yeah. break. And but what you don't realize is maybe just maybe that person becomes the next Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, um, Warren Buffett, whatever, because they had that like pain of I must achieve. And because they were so hell bent to transcend where they are, that <clears throat> that pain gave them, like Ray Dalio says, pain plus reflection equals progress. They really felt that pain. No mm -hmm. one saved them from it. And it forced them to look inward and see a way to improve and get better. Like when I think about um, when I was laying on my apartment floor and I was so lost and so unhappy and flirting with depression, the thing that got me going in the right direction was how bad that felt. Mm. And I just did not want to feel like that anymore. Mm, and so mm -hmm. out of desperation, I begin to read. And in reading, finally find that hook that I grab onto, which is brain plasticity. And you know that allows me to then sort of train my way out of the situation. But it was the pain that made me search for that. What if I'd never had the pain? Yeah. What, what if my thesis film had been fine? Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. it didn't, didn't hurt. It was fine. Middle of the pack. People clapped. They were happy for me. Some people thought, oh, he might go on to do something. Like, in some ways, that would have been worse. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. I, I wouldn't, there would never have been an acute moment where I had to deal with it. And the, the desperation to prove myself became so strong. And this is, I'm getting a little off topic here, but hopefully this is interesting. It's certainly interesting to me. I'm thinking about this a lot right now. So we're working on our first script, right? Mm -hmm. And I already work just an inhuman number of hours. Yeah. And the script comes along and I realize to get it where I want, where I'm willing to bet my money and my reputation and all that, I have to write it. So I start writing it, but that's a long process. And mm -hmm. so now I'm staying up late, I'm getting up early, day after day after day, I'm working the entire weekend, every weekend. I mean, it's just like nonstop violence. And I thought, A, I'm having so much fun, and B, I want to win so badly. Like, and when you have um, a partner, a coworker, whatever, and they wanna win that badly, that you don't have to push them. Like mm -hmm. they're, they're going to make it happen. Being around people like that is so fucking awesome. And I thought I was so proud of myself in, in that phase because I was like, there admittedly, like there is a broken piece of me that is so terrified to fail. Like it is so important to me to win mm -hmm. that I'm like going all in. Now I've yeah. been very careful because I know that about myself. I've been very careful to make sure it's in service of something that I really believe in and I enjoy the process of so that as I'm working these insane hours, I'm having a great fucking time and I'm <laughs> eager and, and can't wait. But um, I love that. And I think some people, like I love that level of effort. And when mm. I see people going that hard for something, I'm like, they, they might win. Yeah, They might win. And when I, the, the people that I, I truly try not to judge because I know it's not coming from a bad place. But when people say to me, Tom, this is, because I say you have to work hard, smart and long hours. Every time I post that, every time, without fail, somebody writes, if you're working hard and smart, why do you have to work long hours? Someone always writes that, you e say? Every time. Really? And, and not just one person. It will be a third of the comments. Really? And I think every one of those people is in the middle. Because 
you're competing against people who will do all three. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. that's for sure. Like, that's just reality. And I, in fact, in this episode, Michael Gervais says, at, at the elite level, mm-hmm. everyone is working hard and smart. Yeah. The only thing left is a whole lot of hours. <laughs> so it's like, look, I get it. If you have no interest in playing on a world stage, if mm-hmm. you don't have that fiendish need to succeed and make a name for yourself and be remembered and be a dominant force in your industry. I sound like a madman. Okay. But like, if that's really what you want, that's really what it takes. Yeah. Just like you said, because there are many other people who are going to be doing all three, many other people. And you already lose. (laughs) You already lose. Dude, there's, oh God, who's it? Um, I forget who says it. I'm, it's not John Wooden, but it, it's it, uh, maybe a football coach or something. I got and a John said, Wooden story for you later on. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. I love his stories. <laughs> um, the quote goes, every time you take a day off, know that somebody else is training, and when you meet, they will win. And I thought, wow, that is so fucking true. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it is so true. And, you know, and it's so funny because uh, I don't want to digress, but at the same time, it, this is what we're talking about. Um, God, who told that story? Was it Jay Williams about Kobe Bryant practicing? Yes. Yeah. What it's a just, good story. Yeah. It's like everyone's taking the day off. Practice is done. The game is done. The game hasn't even started. No matter what, he's practicing. He's prepared. He's getting prepared. And he's preparing himself even after he's prepared. Do you remember what he said to Jay? Oh, I forget. I, I forget. love this so much, Christopher. He goes up to him. Jay asks him. I just have to know, like, you practiced even longer than me. Why did you keep going? And he ends up scoring like 40 points. And he said, I needed you to know, no matter how hard you were willing to work, I was willing to work harder. (laughs) Really, really let that sink in for a second. Because if if I were doing Uh, a Lincoln-Douglas-style debate, I could take either side of the argument. And I could tell you how that's a sickness. And how it damages the relationships. And how... um, Every relationship in his life suffers because of his obsession with basketball. Mm-hmm. And then I can take the flip side and tell you, and that's why he's one of the greatest to ever play the game. And so it just becomes a question of what do you value? Yeah. And, if, and this is why I say, dude, dude, be careful who you idolize. Be careful who your role models are. Because if you want to be the best parent in the world, I am the wrong guy to take advice from. <laughs> I'm the wrong guy. I'm not going to set you up to be a great parent. <laughs> But if you want to play on a world stage, I'm your man. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to be really careful who you model yourself yeah. after. And th- when I hear stories like that about Kobe, they give me the chills. That his, and, and part of what I loved about his answer was he said, look, I don't mean this against you. It's not even about you. But I just had to make sure you knew that I was willing to outwork you. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not personal, dude. It's just yeah. like, I, everyone I encounter is going to know, I will outwork you. Yeah. My favorite line in Ali is when he's in the ring and he's like, does this guy understand that he will have to kill me to win? That's right. Oh, yeah. God, every time. Yeah. Every yeah. time. And I so want to get Will Smith on the show. Will, if you're listening. If you're listening, Mr. Smith. Because, you imagine if he was and he's like. I know, right? It can happen. <laughs> because of his line about I would die on a treadmill. Yeah, yes, yes. It, which was on Tavis Smiley. And guess who was producing that episode? Oh, oh it comes full finesse. circle. Uh, yeah, well, speaking of Kobe working hard and uh, trying to figure out who you idolize and, and how you balance things, um, Michael was very open about his marriage yeah. and how things dissolved, and, but how he salvaged it. 
Um, as a married man, I actually, uh, and I'm sure you uh, listened also, I mean, it was a very interesting thing to hear that. Uh, did we, that just flickered. Yeah, it's okay. fine. It, uh, it was very interesting to hear that because um, here's why it's interesting to me. Um, I have a lot of friends who want to be married. I know marriage isn't for everyone. Um, so I'll, I'll begin by saying that they want to be married, but they are afraid, particularly men, afraid of how they have to compromise. And, they, and they're afraid that they're going to lose their way and they're not going to be able to have the drive anymore. And I keep telling them, it's about the choice you make. Compromising doesn't mean you lose your drive with a relationship. You can actually grow together. She, you could uh, learn to nurture each other. You could learn to understand each other where there's no contempt or there's no, you know, what, what was it? The four horsemen of yeah. divorce, whatever. You can work that out. Just go in, you know, find someone who understands who you are. Right. And of course, people change and people evolve as you go on. Uh, but I found it interesting that he was able to salvage his marriage, but, but still, he still does what he does. You know what I mean? He just had to take a step back and take moments here and there and, and be present. Uh, but, uh, you know, you being married uh, and being a very busy person who works and sleeps, um, I wanted to get your take on that. Well, one, uh, I will say to all of your friends who are listening that secretly want to be married but are afraid to, you know, that it will diminish what they accomplish in life, the people that take the biggest risks are the ones with the most solid home life. The greatest thing I ever did in terms of what I've been able to accomplish was marry Elizabeth, Diana, Cheryl Lambus. And in doing that, we grew together exactly like you're talking. We pushed each other. We... Um, dream together and whenever one of us was off track the other would remind them in the most loving way possible but of who they wanted to become who they said they were going to become and then to point out in a loving way always supportive but like to say the hard thing of you said you were going to do this but you're not actually doing it and so if you want to say that's not actually what I want you want to change gears awesome let's talk about it but if that's really what you want Here's your gut check because you're not doing it. And that kind of stuff, having somebody who you know loves you, man, and they are saying it not to be mean. They're saying it because you said you wanted it. And yeah. You're not acting in accordance. And I used to play in my mind all the time. Anytime there was a big decision and I was putting everything at risk, I would say, okay, what's my worst case scenario? My worst case scenario is this fails. We lose everything. And we either have to move back into one of our parents' house or we move into a hovel somewhere. And I thought, but I'll have her with me. And from there, we'll be able to rebuild. And as long as I have her, like, I feel strong about it. Mm. So because, like, at the end of the day, when I really, if I put a fine, fine point on the moments in my life that are just the most neurochemically rewarding, it is moments where I'm alone with my wife. We're both being totally vulnerable and we're in that sort of giddy, playful state. Mm -hmm. no, nothing can match it. Nothing, nothing I've ever done. Not the money, not the business success, not being on stage, not standing ovations. Nothing hits me neurochemically the way that those moments with my wife mm. are. And they don't cost anything. Yeah. So it's like, as long as I know that I've always got that, I'm, I'm happy, man. So... That, like, to me, look, I'm, I'm a huge believer in love. I'm a huge proponent of marriage. It has been transformative in my life. I think it's hard 
and I don't think it's right for everybody. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it definitely does not intrinsically diminish your drive, exactly. nor does it intrinsically mean that you won't succeed. Now, a lot of people mismanage their relationship. Of course. They lie and they tell their partner what they think they want to hear. They <laughs> compromise on who they are because they think they have to. And they probably got in a relationship predicated on game, on swagger. Mm. And so it's like, well, if you weren't being honest with who you are from the jump, and now that you're, you're acting way more ambitious, and she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Like you, I know he used to do nice <laughs> things for you, but, but what has he done for you lately? <laughs> So, like, that's real, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I told my wife from the jump, like, when she was just a girl I was seeing. Yeah. Like, I'm scary ambitious. And so... From the start. Christopher, day one. Day <laughs> one. In fact, that date, part of what was so electric about it uh-huh. was I thought she had to leave because she was a Brit. That's so right. she was here for a limited period of time. So I thought, well, there's no reason to bullshit this girl. So she's going to leave. She either likes me for who I am or she doesn't. No point in wasting my fucking time. And I'm not like that. I'm not just trying to get laid. Mm-hmm. So I was like, eh, either she likes me for who I am mm-hmm. or she doesn't. So I was way aggressively myself. Okay. And because I was being aggressively myself, she was being aggressively herself. And so then like the sparks were flying because we weren't like bullshitting. There was no like dance. It was just like, look, this is who I am. She's like, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And we were both like, wow, that's actually really <laughs> interesting. I'm really into this chick. Yeah. And so then the sparks just kept flying. So, but because of that, it was like any time where there was friction, I was like, hey, <laughs> literally from day one, I told you this is what I was like. <laughs> and so, you know, it would be those gut checks. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, and Michael goes on to talk about, to equate his marriage to in the way he, uh, builds a foundation on trust and understanding and honesty to organizations even um, that are a relationship-based organization, as mm. he says. He loves a relationship-based organization. And I thought that was actually very interesting how he, uh, not to say that he runs his marriage like an organization and vice versa, but that that kind of sentiment should run deep across all platforms. What are your thoughts on that? This is so critical in business. And it's so hard to get to, and there's so much cultural momentum pushing against it. So it took me a long time to understand what he meant. And what he means is, just like a friendship, Mm -hmm. you have a real relationship with somebody. You're real with them. They know who you are. You're not trying to hide your faults. Um, You're there for somebody when they need you, even if it costs you personally. Um, And that you can expect them to be there for you when um, you need them. And that you discuss emotions. And when Mm -hmm. somebody says something that hurts your feelings, you don't go and be political behind their back or backstab or undermine, you say that hurt my feelings. Mm. And you literally wear your um, heart on your sleeve, not in like a gross, like Jesus, everything's about emotions. Mm -hmm. But I remember the day that I realized, whoa, I actually need to talk about my emotions in business because when the person, somebody does something that upsets me, I then react like a person, I hold resentment, it hurts, I feel disrespected, Mm -hmm. I feel disconnected now. And I need to... Um, I need to reconcile that exchange in some way. And if the reconciliation isn't them having a chance to understand me and apologize and for us to smooth it over, it becomes, well, I'm now going to deduct from you by being resentful. And I'm going to make sure that I zing you or zap you until I feel that there's like a a balance now of how much you hurt me, Mm. which is really dumb. But that's what people do. And that's how business environments get toxic. And it is the exact reason that we're doing Ray Dalio's principles in this company because I saw at Quest what happens when you don't do it. And it, it is so weird how fast, when 
It's when people don't know you that it gets toxic. It's mm-hmm. not when you're working close with them. It's not even like being hard on somebody had very little to do with whether or not they were angry with how hard on them I was. It had to do with how well they knew me. Because if they knew I had good intentions, if they knew I cared about them and wanted good things for them, and then I held them to a standard and was hard and was just direct, maybe even brutal, but they really believed to the core of their, if I just got a text yesterday from one of my employees, I've never been hard on a human like this guy, mm. never. And like, he was like, I miss you so much. And like, there's still so much connection between us because mm-hmm. we were real, we were honest, we were vulnerable, we were connected, we helped each other. And so he would have been just as quick to hold me to a standard as I would be to hold him yeah. to a standard. And so because of that, if I upset him, he would say, hey, that really upset me. And whoa, like that wasn't my intention. And let me tell you what really was. And so you're able to, like the, the accounts balance through communication and vulnerability. Yeah. They don't balance through a stab here, a stab there, you know, when the person isn't looking. So that's a lot of words to say. There's nothing more important in business, in sports, in a marriage, nothing than open communication, being vulnerable, to express when something upsets you, when it hurts your feelings, if you're insecure about something, they triggered your insecurity, to just lay it all out and say, this is exactly where I'm at. You know, it's so funny. I was looking at, one of my friends and I were talking about the regrets of the dying. You know, every year there's always a, an adjusted list and, and it's always pretty much the same stuff on there, but it's a little different. It's just a new publication puts it out. The top 10 regrets of the dying, the top seven, the top five. And uh, the one that's always on there and it, I found it fa- fascinating. I forgot how they word it, but they, it's basically stating, uh, and they poll people who are pretty much in hospice, mostly older people who are on their deathbed, and they pretty much say that they wish that they express how they felt when people said things about them. They wish they were more honest about their feelings and that they were open and they told people that their feelings were hurt mm-hmm. or they weren't afraid of um, you know, expressing uh, themselves and being honest and saying, this is who I am and this is what you said and you need to know that that hurt my feelings. Whatever. And, and I found that very fascinating that it's across so many different lists. But I, I guess it's true. I guess people go through life being afraid to express that and, to be, and being afraid of being honest with someone and telling them, uh, you know, how that person made them feel <laughs> and uh, whether they felt dejected or not. Um, and then also uh, what... Uh, Michael calls a modern day threat, FOPO. Oh God, this is so good. Yeah, AKA fear of other people's opinions. Uh, and it's funny because you hear that, and I laughed and he said that FOPO, but when he started talking about it and you guys started talking about it, I was like, I think it's really true. I mean, I think most people are so afraid to get other people's opinions. And to the point where on the flip side, you're afraid to give your opinion. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like no one, uh, and it goes back to principles too. Like FOPO is a different incarnation of principles and it's nuts uh so yeah i wanted to get your thoughts on fopo and fear of other people's opinions yeah it it, when he said okay so people are more likely to fear giving the eulogy at a funeral than they are to be in the casket yeah that's right (laughs) i mean that that's when i heard that i was like wait a second that is crazy but i've had crippling anxiety about public speaking never had crippling anxiety about death so it it's actually true. I've felt it for sure 100% in my life. And one thing that I've started doing is because 
it is such an overwhelming thing to get caught up in. I don't want to fuck this up and especially not publicly and oh my God, mm-hmm. what will people think? That when I'm starting to feel that, I remind myself I'm trying to serve other people. I've developed a set of skills that allow me to do something that is really beneficial for people. And so think about that. Think about the people that I want to help. And that is so disarming for my anxiety Mm -hmm. because it clicks you out of FOPO. It stops being about, I'm not worried about what other people think because I'm willing to suffer that to help. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to have people think ill of me, think me a fool, think me silly, an idiot, whatever, because I really want to help. And the only way for me to help and to get that feeling that I want from doing something awesome for other people, I've got to face it. And so facing that, again, going back to that, when you have a why, you can deal with any how. It's like, okay, the how of serving people means I have to put myself in danger of a lot of people at one time thinking I'm an idiot. Okay, I'm fine with that. Because sincerely, I'm trying to help. You know, it's funny. I had a FOPO um, experience with my son this morning. Um, it was, uh, I guess, our first encounter with him dealing with other people's opinions. Uh, he's about to graduate, to actually do graduations for preschool now. Uh, preschool it's and be a first grader. Next yeah, year. Uh, actually kindergarten. Yeah, oh, which yeah, is nuts. Sorry, yeah, you're right, you're right. yeah. So, but all week they've been doing uh, things that they normally do in high school, and today was uh, is their prom. So they had to dress up. Their prom. Their prom, which is nuts. escalated quickly. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. So I brought them to school, and we have this cute outfit for them. It's a a vest uh, with matching pants, pinstripe, micro pinstripes. Nice. And a pink shirt and a pink bow tie that's paisley. Mm -hmm. Looks fantastic. To me and my wife, as parents, it's cute. But now he's getting to that older age where, um, you know, boys will be boys and girls will be girls. And as an adult, I can wear pink and feel secure about it. Whatever. Right. I don't care. So he shows up. I drop him off at the school and all the boys surround him. And they all start laughing at him saying, you're wearing girl colors. You're wearing girl colors. Uh, and he was so humiliated that he went into the corner and hid in the corner. And he started scolding me. My five-year-old started scolding <laughs> me saying, take me home and change. I want to change. They're laughing at me. Uh-huh. And I felt awful. I was like, oh, oh. But then I was like, okay, this is my moment to react and talk to him about this. So I pulled him aside and I told him, I was like, look, you are a leader and you are not a follower. Who cares if you're wearing pink? It's a fantastic color. It looks great on your skin. It looks great on you. <laughs> For whatever reason, they want to make fun of you. Maybe they're jealous. Daddy, what's jealous? Uh, that means they want what you have. It's like, oh, okay. And I kept telling him, I was like, you're a king. You're a king. You look amazing. Those are super, it's, those are superhero powers. I had to talk in a five-year-old language, whatever. <laughs> but I got him out of it. And he, you could literally see his head raise up high. It was the, it was the craziest thing. I was like, oh, this is my first moment, dude. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying not to cry. I'm like, this is amazing. And I was like, don't you ever, ever be afraid of what they're saying about you or what they think about you. Who cares what they think? And he goes in with his head up high and he had a little picnic table out of snacks and a a boy comes up to him and is pointing in his face and talks about his girl colors again. My son grabs a cookie, takes a bite out of it <laughs> confidently and walks away. And I was like, yes! That is amazing. Yes, he has sidestepped FOPO. <laughs> wow, that's really interesting how early, A, it kicks in to make fun of somebody else. Yeah. And then B, that he can get the whole, like, I'm a leader, I got yeah. dignity, you can't take it away. Yeah. You know what I mean? It all happens that's so fast. This slick. is my first time ever seeing him embarrassed. 
And it's my first time seeing him react to me kind of lifting him up. Yeah, so it was, yeah. it was a lot happening in that one moment. It was, That's it was, it was dope, nuts. man. Yeah. I love that the most. Yeah. Uh, what I love, and I know we just have a, uh, a few minutes, um, his conversation about cutting your teeth and uh, the sports psychology program with teens yeah. for 18 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is nuts. I mean, it's kind of a crazy idea because people normally do one or the other. Or, uh, I, I mean, to me, I thought it was really cool to mix it. I know he was on a short amount of time. He could only say so much because these people wanted to get together and play basketball. But I guess if you want to summarize what this program is that he did and then tell me your thoughts on it. Well, so the program that he did was he, would, he was studying sports psychology and um, he wanted a place to go and try it out. So he goes in this place where gang members essentially meet up to play basketball in neutral territory and they would often get in fights and so he wanted to use sports psychology to teach them how to stay calm how to stay focused on the competition to not lose themselves and was very successful with it it sounds like and so ends up doing it for 18 years every saturday for 18 years mm-hmm. it's not now it's commitment. what i very much love. <laughs> what i love about this is this is like you want the the just like silver bullet to the problem that millennials and Gen Z and everybody in the growing up in a time where you literally can get everything yeah. like instantly. Mm-hmm. And you could, as a nine-year-old, create a viral video that gets 100 million views, right? So it, it's, and that's all real and none of that's bad and it's amazingly powerful. Yeah. But because it exists, people think, well, then everything is going to be like that. And they have this... Um, like one of those fights where I don't know who you're fighting against. Mm-hmm. You're fighting against the nature of reality, which yeah. is I want it and therefore it should be right now. Yeah. Okay, rad. Well, I feel the same way. I want it and I want everything right now and I shouldn't have to wait. I, I share that sentiment. Mm-hmm. I've just realized the world doesn't work like that. Mm. And because the world doesn't work like that, I can either deal with the world the way that it actually is or I can throw myself into the abyss of frustration that is dealing with the world in the way that you wish it were. Mm. And so life is just never gonna respond to people at scale who are just like, I want it and therefore it should be. So what I love in his story is, okay, he is the guy that goes on to work with Pete Carroll and you yeah. know, create this massive business that deals with Fortune 500 companies and to deal with you know, a, a team that's been to the Super Bowl twice in the last whatever, however many years, and why him? The mm-hmm. answer why him is because for 18 fucking years, he was a, in a gym every Saturday night yeah. while you were at the disco. Cutting so, his teeth. <laughs> exactly. And so this is the thing, like, people should hunger for that shit. This is why, like, my whole speech is about stop worrying about winning a ring and start worrying about becoming capable of a championship performance. Yeah. The performance. So yeah. I have no interest in sitting on a bench on a team that wins a ring. That would bring me no pride. And I have... No interest in winning a ring. I am ashamed of myself, Christopher. I'm <laughs> deeply me, ashamed. Happened to me last week. So, um, so <laughs> I have no interest in wearing a ring if I didn't play to my potential. Like, and I don't mind losing a championship when I gave it my everything. Mm. And I know I left it out on the field. And I, I had fun. And there was joy. And I played at my best. That loss I can take far better than I can take the win when I know I didn't play up to my potential. Mm -hmm. So when you become obsessed with that, just get good. Want to get good, man. Like people just don't want to get great. Getting great is its own reward. And oh, by the way, it also happens to put you in a position where you really might win the championship and Mm -hmm. all that. But like just get great. 
And so the people that will win in this generation are going to be the one, and it's the same of every generation, are the people that are willing to cut their teeth, do the work, get great, become extraordinary. That's it. They will always win because at the end of the day, that is the only way to capture the imagination of another human and get them to give you money, get them to want to train with you, get them to buy your stuff, however you want to think of it. You have to leave them in awe. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. Steve Jobs, he left us in awe. Yeah. Uh, Warren Buffett, his individual shares are like some obscene amount of it's money. Ridiculous. It's like about $100,000 for a single share. It's, it's so crazy because he's left us in awe. Yeah. Michael Jordan left us in awe. Yeah. It's like, that's how you get people's attention. Yeah. That's like, when I look at a crowded industry and people are like, how the hell are you ever going to break into that? There's always room for the best. There's always. There's always room for the best. Yeah. All you have to do is be better than everybody else. Yeah. Now, people may look at that and go, Jesus, I'm not, I don't want to put in the work to be the best. Yeah. I do. And so I'm prepared to be the best and not just the best at making a product. And no one's looking at my product, but it's the best. Well, then you're not the best fucking marketer. So it's like the, the solution is so simple. Yeah. It's like, okay, you have the best product, but do you know how to get it out there? Mm. No. Okay, well, you better get fucking good at that. Mm -hmm. And so like now we're working our first projects with a celebrity for that exact reason. Because I know no one gives a shit about us in the comic book world. Nobody. People could care less. Mm -hmm. So... They couldn't care less. I'll say it right. It actually drives me nuts. Yeah, people yeah. couldn't care less. <laughs> so it's not enough to make the best piece of art. It also has to be marketed more savvy than anybody else. Mm. And to do that, I've had to change my attitude because now I have to really make sure that we've, we've built a really strong bridge with them and their team and all that. And I can't go in and just be brash and this is mine and it's gotta yeah. be like this whole team effort. Yeah. But like, that's how you win. You figure this shit out. You're willing to pay the price to get what you want. So the punchline, deal with the world the way that it is, not the way that you wish it were. And he did exactly that. And he put his energy into becoming extraordinary so he could leave Pete Carroll's jaw on the floor. So he could actually help Pete Carroll win Super Bowls. Mm -hmm. That's it. And when that's you, when you're that guy, yeah. all of a sudden opportunities are everywhere. It's a perfect place to close this up. All right. It's fantastic. Guys, there it is. Go out. Be extraordinary. Go dive into Michael Gervais' world. This dude is amazing. I loved my time with him. All right. If you haven't already, please do go leave us a review. They help more than you know. It is huge. Five star, please. If we can make that request, it would be amazing. If this is added value, hopefully our thank you will be that five star review and just a couple kind words helps more than you know. Really appreciate it, appreciate it guys. <laughs> and if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.